probably teaching on the high school level to, to young people who have just enough Christianity to be immune to it and uh, spend most of your time trying to motivate them to learn or trying to quiet them down so you can teach them. And it, it just makes me appreciate that much more teaching uh, the receptive audience, those who, uh, who are, are willing to sit through five hours of maybe boring lectures, but, uh, but to do it for God's glory and to serve the Lord. So that's, uh, I really appreciate uh, your commitment to God's truth. Okay, we're talking about the uh, Jehovah's Witnesses, uh, and uh, we spent some time uh, refuting their denial of Christ's deity and their denial of the Trinity, and the fact that they deny that the Holy Spirit uh, is a person rather than just an active force. Uh, we talked about uh, uh, how to uh, refute the, their denial of Christ's bodily resurrection and their denial of uh, salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. And then we talked about the denial of Christ's uh, visible return. Uh, now we want to refute their denial of the human soul. Um, Jehovah's Witnesses teach that you cannot, there is no human existence apart from your human body. Okay? So that after a human being dies, a man or woman ceases to exist until he or she is resurrected uh, for the judgment day. Okay? So if you don't have a body, you don't exist as far as human beings are concerned. Which is really interesting because, uh, you know, they've got so much emphasis on Jesus invisibly returning to Brooklyn, New York. Jesus, uh, 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 spiritually raising from the dead, but not bodily raising from the dead. And, uh, of course, they would tie that into him being, uh, they think he's an angel rather than God, the second person of the Trinity. But it's just uh, rather interesting that uh, there's no problem with Jesus, uh, who became a man, existing without a body, but for some reason they just can't accept that about human beings. And there is a, they can make somewhat of a case in that the Hebrew word for spirit, ruach, and the Greek word for spirit, Numa literally mean wind or breath. Okay? Uh, and so they say that when the spirit leaves a man, this means that he, his breath leaves him, he no longer breathes, he dies. Okay? The fact of the matter is, when you're searching for words to describe or to uh, label the immaterial aspect of man, the invisible aspect of man, no better word than, than wind or breath, okay? Uh, but it's the context that tells us when the, the, the word pneuma is being used literally or uh, if it's being used uh, in, in more of a figurative sense. Uh, case in point would be John chapter 3 where Jesus talks about uh, that you have to be born of spirit, 
okay, you have to be born again, but then he compares it to the wind, which you can hear it blowing, you can see its effects, but you can't see the wind itself, so it is with everyone who's born of the spirit. Uh, if you translate spirit as work, as wind, throughout that passage, it makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. Because Jesus is comparing the spirit to the wind. Um, there'd be no comparison if they meant the same exact thing. In fact, the Jehovah's Witnesses are not very consistent on uh, their view of the Holy Spirit as being, you know, more than breath. Okay? Of course, they deny his personality, but it's already dealt with that. So they deny the human soul. They teach that after death, a man ceases to exist until he is resurrected to be judged. Uh, Ecclesiastes 12, 7, Solomon tells us that God formed the spirit within in man. Uh, uh, Philippians 1, 21 to 24. Uh, Paul, well, let's read, let's take a look at that passage so I don't butcher it too much here. Uh, Philippians 1, 21 to 24. Listen to what Paul says. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor. Yet what I shall choose I cannot tell. For I am hard pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. So Paul's saying, you know, I'm in prison right now, and I'm not sure whether it, whether I should pray that God takes me home now, which is far better for me, or whether God should allow me to live in the flesh, which is far better for you. Okay? So verse 23 is real key, because he says that he has a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better than continuing to live in the flesh. Well, how could it be far better to physically die? How is non-existence far better than living in the flesh? That doesn't make sense, okay? Um, also, when Paul says you when you depart, uh, when you depart, you leave someplace and you go somewhere else. You don't cease to exist. But not only that, he tells us where he departs, would depart to if he were to physically die. If he were to physically die and his body would start rotting in a grave, in a tomb, um, we just got started. So, uh, if we were to physically die, we're in Philippians chapter 1, verses uh, uh, 21 to 24, we're talking about refuting the Jehovah's Witness denial of the human soul. And uh, so... Paul is saying if we were to physically die, if Christian is to physically die, we are we would then depart and be with the Lord. Well, it's not talking about our body, because our body would be rotting in the grave. But the real you would depart from the body and then would go and be with Christ. And so that is obviously not talking about uh, non-existence. That is talking about being uh, uh, in existence with, uh, you know, continuing in your existence with God. Acts chapter 7, verse 59, we're dealing with Stephen. He's being stoned to death. And uh, 
Acts 7, verse 59. Uh, and they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God, saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Now translate that breath, which is what the Holy Jehovah's Witnesses want us to do, and that doesn't make a whole lot of sense at all. Lord Jesus, receive my breath. You know, take my breath away and let me cease to exist. That doesn't make sense at all. What he's saying is, take my spirit. These guys are stoning me to death. Now my spirit is going to go into your presence. And it's something for me to look forward to. Uh, I'm not going to cease to have conscious existence. In Luke chapter 16, verses 19 to 31, uh, there you have uh, Lazarus the beggar and the rich man die. And Lazarus the beggar is in paradise. He's in Abraham's bosom. He's in a place of peace. He has conscious existence after death and before the resurrection, which is yet to occur. Yet, and, and the guy that rejected Christ the Savior is in, in torment. There's a gulf between the two, but they both have conscious torment after death and before the resurrection. Again, this refutes uh, soul sleep. Luke 23, verse 43 and verse 46, Jesus is on the cross um, and Jesus doesn't sound like a Jehovah's Witness when he's hanging on the cross or did he sound like a Jehovah's Witness prior to that or after that but Luke 23 quick question sorry I kind of lost track we're right on the notes wise which one are we uh... we're on point G denial of human soul okay thank you okay Luke 23 verse 43 uh, Jesus tells the thief on the cross and Jesus is just about to die the thief on the cross is just about to die and Jesus says to him, Assuredly, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. He didn't say, Don't worry about it. Today you're going to cease to exist. And a few thousand years from now, I'll, I'll raise you from the dead, and you'll start existing again. Okay? So, uh, again, the Jehovah's Witness argument doesn't hold much water. Um, in verse 46, Jesus said, said something that Stephen quoted from him when, he, when Stephen was about to be stoned. We already went over that. But when Jesus had cried out with a loud voice, he said, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. So again, if spirit means breath, it doesn't mean, you know, Father, take my breath, you know, and let me cease to exist. That, that's not what this is saying. He's saying, Father, I'm going to physically die. See, see basically, death it's the bottom of the page you'll find it under the denial of the eternal conscious torment death in the scriptures from a theological standpoint does not teach extinction or annihilation death in the scriptures means separation physical death your spirit is separated from your body James 2.26 uh, spiritual death your spirit is separated from God so theologically speaking, death means separation. It doesn't mean um, uh, annihilation. Okay. Second uh, Corinthians five eight, Paul says, "Prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord." So Paul is 
not saying, uh, look, if you're absent from the body, you cease to exist, and you know, why would you prefer that? Uh, but he's saying when you're absent from the body, when you're absent from your physical body, you're at home with the Lord. And so obviously this is not soul sleep. Uh, there's continued conscious existence uh, uh, apart from the physical body. Uh, James 2.26, James said, just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. So the body without the spirit, it's that idea of separation. Okay, the Jehovah's Witnesses is going to say that verse just means this is the body without breath is dead. But I think from the other passages that we've looked at, I think we can see more clearly what James is getting at. And uh, But a really key passage, though, is harder to understand, is that Matthew 22, verses 23 to 33. We don't have time to read it, but let me just see if I can bring it through this. And Jesus had a problem on his hands because the, the Sadducees, the Jewish priests, they only accepted the first five books of the Bible, the Law of Moses. Okay? So if Jesus is going to refute them, he's got to go to the Law of Moses, the first five books. They didn't accept the rest of the Old Testament like the Pharisees did. Okay? So they only accepted the first five books of the Bible, but they denied uh, future resurrection and life after death. I mean, that was a major reason why these guys were very political and tended to be friendlier with the Romans than even the Pharisees were. Okay? And nobody was as friendly with the Romans among the Jews as much as the Herodians who backed Herod big time who was a puppet of the Roman Empire. But whatever the case, you know, political politics was everything to them because they, they really didn't believe in the hereafter, okay? So that's Jesus' problem. These guys, they come to, they try to stop and say, hey, okay, Jewish guy wants to obey God's law. He, uh, or, or, or a lady marries a Jewish guy and he dies without bearing children, without giving her children. So then she goes to his, his next brother, next oldest brother, and marries him to raise offspring for the first brother that died. But he dies without giving her children. And she does this through uh, about seven brothers or so. And they all die and she doesn't have children from any of them, and then she dies. Now in the resurrection, if there's life after death, whose husband, who's she going to be married to in the hereafter? Okay? And Jesus said, you guys don't understand Scripture, because in the resurrection you neither marry her nor are given in marriage. Okay? So we're going to be asexual when we're bodily raised. So we told him right out, you guys don't understand But then he also told him he had to go to the law of Moses. So he goes to the first five books of the Bible, he goes to Exodus chapter 3, where God is speaking to Moses from the burning bush. It's about 
I don't know, around 1480 to 1450 BC, somewhere in that time period, okay? A guy identifies himself, speaks to Moses from the burning bush, says, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Okay? Well, everybody knew Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they probably died between the years of 2000 and 1700 BC, just round figures, you know, probably between 2800 BC. Okay? But then Jesus tells them, you know, our God is not the God of the dead. He's not the God of the, in the sense of Sadducees would use it, the sense of the non non-existent. He's the God of the living. And God didn't say, I was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but now they're dead. He said, I am currently the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And since God is not the God of the dead, he's the God of the living, what Jesus is arguing is, hundreds of years after the death of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they are still alive. And this is thousands of years before the resurrection, because the resurrection is yet to occur. I mean, Christ rose as the first fruits, but he has not risen his church from the dead yet. That happens at the second coming. So Jesus is saying, after the physical death of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, hundreds of years later, they were still alive. Okay? Soul sleep, if soul sleep were true, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob would, would not be existing at that time. By the way, this is also a good passage to use to show Jesus' view of the scriptures. A lot of people say, well, Jesus didn't believe that the Bible was totally without errors, didn't believe that every word in the Bible was, was perfect and was God's word. Yes, he did. Not only did he believe that every word was God's word, but he even believed that you can base doctrine. He, he was so specific in his belief that God's word, every word was was. Uh, from God and was God's word and without error that he even went to the tense of the verb. That because God said, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, not I was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, just because he used present tense means you can build the, the doctrine of resurrection and life and the hereafter on that alone, just on the tense of the verb. So, uh, in other words, his view of scriptures was a lot closer to Billy Graham and Jerry Falwell's view of scripture than a lot of these uh, quote-unquote neo-evangelicals who believe the Bible, the Bible can contain errors and things of that sort. But whatever the case, that totally demolishes not only the view of the Sadducees, but the view of the Jehovah's Witnesses as well. Um, the Jehovah's Witnesses also deny eternal conscious torment. Uh, they believe that all the wicked dead will be resurrected, brought back to life, to be judged, and then they'll be annihilated and exist no more. Okay? Uh, again, we need to recognize that death in the Bible means separation, not annihilation. Okay? Physical death, spirit separated from the body. Spiritual death, your spirit is separated from God. Hell is, the, is eternal conscious torment because you are eternally separated from the one source of 
uh, true joy. So you're totally separated from joy through all eternity. But um, look at Revelation 14, 9 to 11. Uh, says that then the, the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and his image, and receives his mark on his forehead or on his hand, he himself also shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation. And he shall be tormented, not cease to exist, he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. Okay, so he'll be tormented with fire and brimstone. Now verse 11 says, In the smoke of their torment, ascends forever and ever and they have no rest day or night who worship the beast and his image and whoever receives the mark of his name now it's basically saying that this group of people that accept the mark of the beast they are going to be tormented not cease to exist and that the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever and they have no rest day and night. If you cease to exist, I mean, that's about as absolute as rest can be. Non-existence. I mean, there's nothing there. Uh, uh, yet these have no rest day or night. And so I think it's very obvious from this passage that these are being tormented forever and ever. Whatever the case, you've got the fire and brimstone. Uh, and you have this same situation mentioned in Revelation 20, verse 10. It says, And the devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. We even have evangelicals saying to this day, well, yeah, but those are the only three that are going to be in hell forever and ever. I don't think that solves the problem of evil. You know, people saying, well, God's unjust and blah, blah, blah. I don't think that solves it. I think that adds to it. Can you imagine how unfair God would be if he only threw Lucifer, the false prophet, and the Antichrist, and tormented them forever and ever, yet the billions of people that followed them just ceased to exist. That would be really unfair to Lucifer, the false prophet, and uh, uh, the Antichrist. Uh, but the other, the other thing is they get tossed into the lake of fire. Well, look at verse 15 of Revelation 20. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. So anyone whose name is not listed in the Lamb's book of life, who is not saved by the Lord Jesus, they end up in the same place, the lake of fire, same place as the Antichrist, the false prophet, and Lucifer. How come with, the, with Lucifer, the Antichrist, and the false prophet, they're tormented day and night forever and ever, but everybody else who goes there gets zapped out of existence? That doesn't make sense. They're in the same place for the same reason, and it implies very strongly the same punishment. Okay? And, and then you bring in Revelation 14, no rest day and night. Okay? Jesus talked about this. We don't have time to turn there. Mark chapter 9, verses 43. 48. The word he used for hell was Gehenna. Gehenna was a literal place just outside Jerusalem 
It was a garbage dump. And there was always somebody working there. I hope they had three or at least two shifts so that some poor guy didn't have to spend his whole existence 24 hours a day, seven days a week. But the fires were always kept going at this garbage dump. There was always somebody there to keep the fires going so Jews could go outside the city and throw their garbage there. But by the way, in ancient times, all kinds of people were keep getting themselves killed because they, even in the Middle Ages, in Europe, the bubonic plague, people were throwing their garbage outside the window into the streets and then wondering how come they were, their city was infested with rats and they were getting all kinds of plagues from them. And it's because they didn't go by the, uh, the biblical view of sanitation and healthy living in, in the Old Testament. But the Jews would take their garbage outside the city and would burn it and they would keep the flames going. And so Jesus referred to the lake of fire as Gehenna. And he said over and over again there that those who go to Gehenna, their worm does not die, nor is the fire quenched. And that's a very symbolic way of saying, oh, and he, he talks about them weeping and gnashing of teeth. You don't weep and gnash your teeth if you cease to exist. So he is talking about torment that goes on and on. The worm does not die, the fires are not quenched and there's weeping and gnashing of teeth, okay? So uh, this idea of annihilation and of the wicked and denial of eternal conscious form is simply not biblical. Okay, uh, page four. The Jehovah's Witnesses disrespect for human government. They re refuse to salute the flag, say the Pledge of Allegiance. They refuse to fight any war to defend our nation. Um, Let me say this. Christians should not hold the view that my country right or wrong. If America ever invades Israel and they decide to draft old people and I get drafted, um, I am not going to fight and mess with the nation of Israel. Okay? Unless I really had indication from God that God was disciplining them and was going to use America to do that, but I don't think that's the case. I think... Uh, um, I think right now where we seem to be, as far as biblical prophecy is concerned, you know, God says in Isaiah chapter 11 that when he gathers Israel the second time from all over the earth, that basically they're not going to be booted out of the land again. So I think the next thing on the agenda is Zechariah 14 when all nations invade Israel. So, so basically if we're in the end times and, and America and the United Nations decide to invade Israel, Phil Fernandez ain't going. Um, so it's not America right or wrong. At the same time, if America is fighting to defend her freedom, okay, the idea that you can enjoy the freedoms we have in this country but not fight to defend it, if that really is the case, the war is really about that and has a just cause, uh, that's it's simply not scriptural. Uh, Romans 13, 1-7 tells us to pay our taxes and to submit to the governing authorities because the government was instituted by God. Uh, Mark 12, 17, Jesus said, Give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Give him the respect due to him, but give to God what is God. So when Caesar demands worship, you say no. That belongs to God. But when Caesar says, Pay your taxes and serve in the military, if it's a just war, you do it. Okay? Let me say this. Submitting to the governing authorities 
and trusting the governing authorities are two different things. Over and over again, the Bible says submit to the governing authorities, but over and over again, the Bible tells us to never trust in human kings. Okay? Um, which means you vote for, in a free country, you vote for the official that takes the closest stance to the Bible, um, but then you watch him like a hawk. Because power corrupts absolute, power corrupts absolutely. But whatever the case, Joe's witnesses failed to realize that proskuneo, the Greek word for worship, and the, the, the other Greek words for worship, and the found in the Bible, the Hebrew words for worship, you are allowed to bow before. Proskuneo means to prostrate before, to, to uh, in a religious sense, it's worship. It'd be if you bow before God in prayer, you're worshiping God. But if you bow before a king out of political reverence, that's perfectly acceptable. Abraham did it. Okay? So saluting an officer is not religious worship. Uh, it is political or military respect. There's no problem with that at all. They fail to see that. Now the thing is, Jesus received religious proscuneo, religious worship. And in heaven, you find Revelation 4 and 5, everybody in heaven is bound before the throne of God the Father and also the throne of the Lamb. That's proskuneo. That's religious worship. So Jehovah's Witnesses don't want to give Jesus religious worship, which they're supposed to, but then they refuse to give political proskuneo, political respect to the government. So basically, they're all messed up. They don't know whether they're coming or going. Um, Okay, Jehovah's Witness misunderstanding concerning God's name. They teach that Jehovah is God's only name and he must be referred to by this name always. Actually, no one knows how to pronounce the divine name. It's, it's Y-H-W-H. We, we call it Yahweh, but nobody knows the vowels because the Jews didn't write vowels early on. You'd only know what vowels belong there by the way you pronounce it. The vowels were developed later. But nobody pronounces the divine name. So all we have is Y-H-W-H. So nobody knows how to pronounce it. Yahweh would probably be pretty close. Uh, but whatever they, you know, when God identified himself as I am who I am for the burning bush, he identified himself as Yahweh. Uh, and he said that's his personal name. Uh, but whatever the case, and the Jews didn't pronounce it, because God said don't take his name in vain. So the Jews said, well, forget it. We won't even pronounce it then. Um, uh, but Jesus told us to call God our Father. And they said, well, how, how should we pray? Jesus said, we'll say, our Father who art in heaven. So, so Matthew 6, 9. So, so maybe we should slam Jesus for not calling the, the Father Yahweh. Another misunderstanding concerns thing we already talked about is the fact that the Old Testament, over and over again, Jesus is called Yahweh. Okay? Even in the New Testament, you can make a case that he's called Yahweh. Even though it's in Greek, it's Korios for Lord. Uh, down in Thomas, when he saw Jesus risen from the dead, he said, Akorias the Lord of me and the God of me, my Lord and my God. He's referring to Jesus as Lord and God. Um, the failed prophecies of the Jehovah's Witnesses, their organization claims to be God's prophet to mankind today. In actuality, Deuteronomy 18, verses 20 to 22, tells us that if a prophecy comes true, it doesn't necessarily mean that the guy's from God. But if the prophecy comes out false, then you know he's not from God. And the Jehovah's Witnesses have been wrong time and time again. 
You know, 1975 was supposed to be the Battle of Armageddon, it didn't come about. 1918 was supposed to be the Battle of Armageddon, it didn't come about. And these guys have missed it, like, uh, probably 10 or 15 times. Uh, Matthew 7, verses 15 to 23 says, There's wolves in sheep's clothing. They pretend to be Christians, but they're really not. They're anti-Christian teachers. They're false teachers. They lead people astray. And you test them by the fruit. You'll know them by the fruit that they bear. Okay? And when you look at the fruit of the Jehovah's Witnesses, the false prophecies, and then the rejection of Christ's deity, uh, that's also evidence that they're not uh, true prophets of God. Then in Matthew 24, verses 23 to 27, Jesus is talking about false prophets and false Christ. He says, when somebody says, hey, the Christ has come back, and he's in an upper room, or he's in a hidden room, or he's in the wilderness, don't believe them. And then Jesus says that my coming is going to be as obvious as the lightning striking in the east, flashing to the west, the sun will be darkened, the moon won't give us light, the stars will fall from the sky, the powers of the heavens will be shaken, and then we'll see the Lord Jesus returning in the clouds in power and glory with all his angels. Anybody else is a false teacher there, or a false prophet. The Jehovah's Witnesses say that, yeah, Jesus returned to earth, he is, he is living in earth in Brooklyn, New York, he invisibly returned, it's great that he returned invisibly so that he doesn't have to pay rent, rent is very expensive in Brooklyn, um, but we're supposed to believe that. Based upon Matthew 24, it's real clear Jesus classifies uh, anyone who says such things as false prophets. Jehovah's Witness Bible, we talked about that a little, the New World Translation, actually it should be called the New World uh, Perversion or Corruption of God's Word. Uh, uh, they have no Greek or Hebrew scholars. They refuse to name. The, they say that there were 12 guys in the translation uh, committee. They refuse to give out the names of who they were. Uh, John, 5, John chapter 8, verse 58, where Jesus says, Before Abraham was born, I am. They invent a tense that doesn't exist in New Testament Greek so that they can get away from Jesus saying that even in the past he existed in the eternal now, you know. And uh, uh, John 1.1, 1, 1, uh, they say, instead of saying in the beginning was good, uh, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God, they say the Word was a God, and there's no justification for that due to what is called the predicate nominative rule. Uh, it demands that that be translated, the word was God. And uh, so it's just a perversion of the scriptures. They just, they just change whatever they would like to change. So uh, I would recommend you want to minister to Jehovah's Witnesses, get their New World Translation. Just so you see, number one, where the differences are. And then number two, whoever they had changed the verses of the Bible, they weren't good enough theologians to see that they should have changed a lot more. There's still enough in there to hang. And uh, uh, for instance, those Old Testament passages where Jesus is called Yahweh, the Lord, with all capital letters. And uh, um, okay, uh, and then finally their opposition to blood transfusions, the believers in Leviticus tells us that we are not to drink uh, blood. Uh, we're not to 
Uh, so the Bible forbids drinking blood, especially drinking human blood, but that has nothing to do with blood transfusions. And, uh, you know, blood transfusion for medical purposes uh, to help save someone's life is not, you know, drinking human blood, which is basically, you find that in the world of the occult, you find that in uh, satanic rituals, and it was in many occultic secret arts, uh, paganistic cultures and practices in Old Testament times, that was what was being forbidden, not um, uh, blood transfusion and stuff like that. So, yeah. Yeah, it's 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 it's, it's, it's paganistic religious ritual. That was what was being forbidden. Now that God did separate the Jews, so they had to see to it that the blood was drained from animals before they had their religious ceremonies and stuff. But and the reason given was because the life is in the blood. And um, a lot of the emphasis on the Jewish Old Testament rituals, which are no longer in effect today because they were symbols, shadows, Christ is the substance that pointed forward to Christ, uh, a lot of that emphasis was, the, you know, there was a big emphasis basically in the Old Testament on blood. Blood sacrifices, the life is in the blood, so that someday God was going to redeem them through the true sacrifice who would shed his blood to redeem mankind. And so uh, uh, Jehovah's Witnesses just blow that totally out of proportion and because of it, uh, there are times when, for false religious reasons, uh, where Jehovah's Witnesses' children have been uh, deprived from receiving a blood transfusion. So if we take it as that's food, that's not religious. What do you mean? Like, if, like if we eat, uh, like if we eat red meat? No, we have culture. We, we, we have pork. Yeah, like, 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 like there, is, is it like blood in the food itself? No. In the meat? Actually, we, we clump, clump the uh, blood and uh, I don't think, I, I, I believe when it, when it speaks about not eating, you know, the, the, the animal blood in the Old Testament, there I believe you're dealing more with God giving certain rules to the Jewish nation to separate them from the rest of the world. Like, for instance, they, they, were, they could not eat pork, okay? Uh, yet, today, it's okay for religious reasons to eat pork. And I, and I, love, I love sausage, I love pork chops at the same time. There's probably some good health reasons why maybe I shouldn't eat as much as I do. But for a religious reason, I believe as far as the animal blood, because you can you can go to you can, some people like having rare steaks and uh, um, you know black Angus or whatever. That's fine. Um, but when it comes to like drinking of human blood, then we bring into it the the the, the fact of the world of the occult, because in like in Satanism, even to this day. The drinking of human blood is supposed to give you the power that that person had, and uh, sometimes it's the eating of in that uh, that that cult down in Mexico, that drug smuggling cult. They thought they would be immune to prosecution by killing people, 
and eating their their brains, eating certain of their organs and stuff to gain demonic occultic power uh, through those practices. And that's the kind of thing that, that this is keying on, the occultic practices of drinking human blood. And so I don't think that would apply there um, because I think you're dealing there with you got two different principles here. The animal blood you got, uh, it was for ceremonial purposes. That's been fulfilled by Christ. But when it comes to human blood, then you've got uh, occultic practices being forbidden. And uh, uh, at the same time, if you need a blood transfusion, um, you know, I, I don't think the, the Bible... Uh, I don't think the Bible addresses it other than uh, um, greater love has no one than this that one will lay down his life for his friends. So someone willing to give blood or, or be an organ donor so that when you die some of your organs can be used to help save someone else's life. I don't think, I don't think, uh, I, but I, I think what has to be done is there has to be respect for the human body cool. even after death so that whether it's cremation or burial, things are done with respect, recognizing that this was not an animal that died. This was, a, this was the body that housed the spirit of a human being who was created in God's image. Well, I wonder if the uh, they, they probably do. They probably do. I think their, their, their emphasis is mainly on the, uh, on the uh, human blood. That in a transfusion you're getting human blood, somebody else's human blood is coming into your body. But that's, it's not an occultic practice, it's just a good medical practice to help save a life. So. Okay, I'll tell you what, take a, take a ten minute break until like five after, do whatever you need to do, just relax a little bit and then we'll get started on the... Uh, uh, called the Mormonism. <laughs>